decided to also track um, restrictions to domestic mobility, so lockdowns, um, closure of schools, uh, uh, prohibition to go outside of your apartment in, in certain hours of the day. So this person you just heard is Lorenzo Piccoli, and he is an academic currently, amongst other things, working on a research project to do with mobility restrictions under COVID-19. He is based, well, he actually has three different bases, essentially. He moves a little bit between Italy, France and Switzerland. And also talks about his personal experience in confinement, um, which is the um, French version of lockdown in Paris. In a 25 square meter flat. So stick around. Never spent so much time with you before. It's like we've lost the key to the front door. We'll be here until the end. I hope to God that we can still be friends. Try our best to protect and survive. Does buying Volvo really help keep us alive? Not liking that by my summation. Settling cause we're in isolation. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the isolation booth. My name is Danai. My name's Anna. Um, we've been trying this for the third time now. <laughs> Just had a glass of wine. We, we, no, I haven't. This I so a sip of we wine. we kind of um, you always schedule a phone call, and because we were scheduling in Europe, uh, we kind of. Forgot about the time difference, and uh, I was just sitting down to have a glass of wine, as recommended by another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now I'm, um, yeah, I realized that actually we were supposed to be recording in like twenty minutes, and so now I'm having a glass of wine while we're recording. So if you f- hear me pretty chilled out, <laughs> now you know why. why. Anyway, so it's Monday for us. It is. Uh, how, how's your weekend been? Um, weekend was relaxed. Um, can't remember what we did now. Um, there was a lot of exercise and we did go out a little bit towards the park. Yes, did see some friends. I went for did a we? nice... Yes, we saw your friends. Right, okay. Went for a nice little walk on my own at some point. Yeah. Oh, we- had another standard Zoom catch up with friends. Sure. And we had our, our really small ping pong tournament ah, to, yes. to the be- at the beginning of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Who won, Hannah? This is why she wants to talk <laughs> about it because she beat me by like one point. Hey, is like it all? I mean, that's when, when is that's when is the most exciting and the most that you feel like right. you earned it when you use like head to head all the time and then you ma- you managed to make it there first. And she's been gloating and pointing it out every day uh, ever since. Not every day. That's the first time I even talked about it. Anyway, uh anything else you wanna add before we call our guest? I have nothing further to add. Do you yes. wanna give him a call? Let's try this. You're gonna hear the ringtone of our sponsor in a minute. <laughs> no sponsoring here by the way. No, we're not gonna pay for this one. Hi Anna. Hello. Hi Danny. Hi Anna. Can you hear us? This is the first time we're doing this over Skype, so it's all a bit of an experiment. I hope it works fine. (laughs) I I can hear you very well. The only problem is there is a little bit of an echo, so I can hear my voice again. Uh, Oh, 
Okay. Okay, that's no not longer, ideal. Actually, no, no, I don't hear myself any longer, so it's fine. Oh, now okay. it works very well. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and doing this. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I'm really happy we're doing this. <laughs> So um, I guess usually we just let our guests uh, introduce themselves. So um, yeah, maybe if you just want to say who you are and where you are, where you are, and, and a little bit of uh, what you do, and sure. has your isolation been going so far or confinement? Sure, sure. So my name is Lorenzo. Uh, I am currently in Neuchâtel, which is a small city, village, I would say, in Switzerland. Um, I was in Paris until a few days ago, until uh, last week, and that's where I spent my isolation. They call it confinement there in France. And usually my life is between uh, these two places, Neuchâtel and, and Paris, uh, and I hope it will continue to be the same, even though I'm not too sure about it. And uh, I am a researcher in um, political science, and I've been studying... Uh, citizenship, migration, and human mobility for the last uh, few years of my life. Great. Right. That's perfect. Uh, so <laughs> lots of questions. Don't even know where to start. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, maybe if we start with the with the work aspect of things, if you're looking at uh, citizenship and, and migrants and so on, it's, uh, you know, if we're talking about COVID-19 now and, and lockdown or confinement and all these things, it's, it becomes a very relevant topic, doesn't it, for everyone. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about... Um, Just insights of how maybe this confinement is affecting migrants. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, it, it affects migrants in, in many different ways. So maybe I can tell you what I did uh, together with some colleagues uh, to, to make sense of what was happening. Uh, starting from um, the end of February, the beginning of March, that is when we realized that something very important in our field of study was going on because several countries uh, had already adopted uh, pretty strict rules to uh, limit mo mobility within countries in, in China already at the time, but also across different countries internationally. I think... Uh, being Italian uh, added a little bit of pressure because at the time, again, that was the end of February, the beginning of March, uh, there, there was a sense of urgency around um, what was going on in Italy. Uh, and that was much, much stronger there than in Switzerland. So I remember speaking to some of my colleagues here in Neuchâtel um, and telling them, look, what's going on is really going to revolutionize some of the things that we start. And not all of them had the same sense of um, urgency than I did. So what, what we did, I managed to convince a few of them and I managed to convince some colleagues in, uh, in Italy. And we started to track uh, those uh, restrictions that were in place. At the time, and the moment I started tracking them, uh, they uh, really exploded in Europe as well. I remember there were days where I would spend hours in front of the laptop just trying to keep track of all the different measures that, that countries were introducing, uh, such as quarantines, uh, uh, mandatory self-isolation, yeah. uh, lockdowns. I mean, you know, you know very well. Uh, all of these measures, because that's what you've been uh, discussing and, and what we have all experienced on our own skin for the last few months. And um, maybe just a final thing uh, before you ask me other questions. For <laughs> me, it was bizarre because as, as researchers, we always try to keep a distance uh, from what we study. Right. And of course, in this situation, it was uh, it was impossible. So I was feeling a bit schizophrenic, you know, keeping track of things and being very excited research-wise of what was going on, but at the same time very concerned on the effects that this would have on on my life and the life of all the people I know. 
Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because you, you are just as affected as, as anyone else by it. So you can't really keep that that um, distance from it. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that aspect a bit. Um, yeah, I guess it's when, you know, the more data you have, the potentially the more consequences there are. So it's for you, it's like, oh, good, I, get, I have tons of data, but... That probably means that the, the effects are getting wider and they're affecting more closer to home. I think it affects a lot of people. It's one of the few times that we see a phenomenon that is truly, truly global and it affects all the continents. And the measures that governments are taking are, are fairly similar from Africa to Europe. And I realize I have not really answered your previous question yet because you were asking me about consequences for for migrants and they always i only gave you my own perspective but that's because the consequences are indeed so vast uh, and uh, and it's it's still difficult to make sense of all the consequences that there will be but i also think it depends a lot on the type of of migrants that you are so there are still some privileged migrants and i i think i am one of those who still have some resources to travel internationally and to work in a place that is different from the country where they hold nationality and others that are that are very badly affected from from these restrictions in, in some cases the restrictions are actually having much more of a negative effect on people than than the, the virus right yeah of course are you um, looking at data mainly, sorry, sorry if you already answered this question and I just um, overheard it, but um, are you looking at data mainly within Europe or kind of globally? I mean, how many countries, when you're saying you were tracking um, all sorts of different countries, um, at what level are we talking about here? So we track two uh, different forms of restrictions. One is restriction to international travel. Okay. And for that, we, we try to go global and, okay. uh, and, keep, uh, and keep track of um, all the countries. So we have more than 200 countries in the data set. And that is a bit of a nightmare to keep track of. Yeah. Because I, um, I imagine they also change quite a bit. or They, they change almost every day. And of course, wow. when we started, we didn't realize how much work this was going to be. And um, I remember the, the first few days I was sitting in, in the kitchen because I, uh, in Paris I shared a very, very small apartment with my girlfriend. So she was working in the living room on the phone um, and I had to be very silent in the kitchen doing <laughs> my own research. And uh, Sounds very the, familiar. We have a similar situation here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed, they shared a shared situation uh, and um, and the number of hours spent trying to keep track was uh, was enormous. So when we decided to also track um, restrictions to domestic mobility, so lockdowns, um, closure of schools, uh, uh, prohibition to go outside of your apartment in, in certain hours of the day, then we did it together with a group of people, um, a group of colleagues and friends here in Switzerland, uh, but we also decided to cover Europe only. Otherwise, we we felt this was gonna get out of hand. Yeah. yeah. Are you hoping to compare the data? For example, obviously, I would have thought by now you have a trend of you know which countries had the most restrictions to which countries had the least restrictions, and maybe how does that reflect to their contagious rate, like how, how fast the virus is spread or how many cases they had at least confirmed? I'm not sure what we will do with the data yet, but uh, I think instinctively I would say this is something for epidemiologists. Um, right. We have seen a lot of people trying to give expert opinions on, on the virus over the last few months. And I think oftentimes political scientists have also tried to suggest recipes on how to slow down the virus. Myself, I have no idea. I, I don't, you know, I'm not an expert of, of those things. And if uh, other people want to use the data to uh, try and better understand how they correlate with the spread of the virus, then they're very welcome. Myself, together with uh, with my colleagues who are mainly experts of 
political sciences, social sciences, if you want. Yeah. We'll try to we'll try to understand how uh, certain political factors may um, facilitate one decision over the other. So yeah. I would expect. Uh, that right-wing governments uh, may be a little bit more reluctant to adopt um, restrictions to domestic mobility because they want to, you know, keep markets open. Yeah. Uh, I would also expect um, that if you have countries with uh, past colonial ties, uh, mm-hmm. uh, they adopt similar decisions because they influence each other. And I would also expect that um, countries with a central government, um, like the country where you live at the moment, uh, yeah. may take decisions more quickly than federal countries, like the one where I am at the moment. Uh, but these are just expectations, and this is one way in which I would, I would like to use uh, the data that we have collected. So with this in mind, was there anything um, that's been really surprising for you so far, maybe in terms of a particular country's reaction um, to this, where you would have had different expectations? We haven't uh, we haven't analysed the data yet, but there are okay. many things that I find surprising. And perhaps this is a little bit more um, anecdotic than, than, than based on the data set proper. But one thing sure. that I find very surprising is that governments have uh, used, have relied very heavily on experts uh, to justify the decision to, um, to close down domestic mobility, to introduce lockdowns, uh, to introduce, you know, to close down most of the businesses and so on. Uh, there was the case, Boris Johnson in the UK always uh, relied on, on, on opinions of, of different experts, if you want. The same from, for the country where I come from, in Italy, the, the, the experts were really put at the center of the scene. Uh, but this was not the case for the closure of the borders. So yeah. a lot of governments decided to close the borders very quickly, they provided very little justification of of that decision. And as far as I know, they did not rely on the opinion of the experts. Also, because there are no experts who said that closing the borders would help to reduce the the spread of of the virus. So at the moment, this is one of the things that I find very intriguing and a little bit surprising. You find surprising that they did close a lot of them too fast or that some of them didn't close? I I find surprising the asymmetry between the way in which experts were really used to justify certain restrictions and they were completely marginalized or say they were completely ignored when it came to introducing other restrictions, namely the the, the closure of the borders in this case. Interesting. Yeah, the UK never really closed their borders, as far as I know. And we only now implemented the 14-day quarantine, which is almost right. like a, a little bit late. <laughs> but okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, indeed. In in a way, the UK was a bit of a um, of a free rider in that, uh, in the sense that there was a moment when international mobility was already hugely reduced, and it was very difficult to travel from one country to the other, yeah. airlines almost stopped operating, that it was not even, you know, it didn't make much of a difference to close the border or not because the, the volume of travelers able to, to come uh, had already collapsed. So I think there was a certain point in spring where the decision was not even considered any, any longer. Yeah, it was not needed anyway. If everyone yeah. else was closing, then there was not a lot of coming in anyway. Yeah, exactly. So you said that you were first in France, but now are you you are back in Switzerland, and you also had some concerns, perhaps on a personal level, about your your future mobility between these these two countries. As we all do, I think people. I suppose the people who listen to this podcast, and I suppose you are highly mobile, uh, like like many other. Uh, Europeans of our generation. Yeah. Myself, I, I so so my girlfriend lives in Paris, and I work uh, between Switzerland and Italy. So I I move a lot between these different countries. And I remember it was the second week of March when I realized that probably 
France was going to close down the borders. Yeah. And so I made the decision. I, I pondered whether I wanted to spend uh, what looked like it was going to be a lockdown in Switzerland together with my French flatmate or <laughs> rather go to France uh, with my girlfriend. And after... I think 10 seconds of ponderation. Yeah. <laughs> I decided I should rush to the train station, get on a train, go to France. I think there was the 13th of, of March, if I remember correctly. It was uh, a Friday when I arrived in, uh, in Paris. And um, two days later, France voted to elect uh, um, the, the municipalities. It was the, the time of the municipal elections everywhere. And then the next day... Um, the government introduced the lockdown and effectively closed down the borders. So it was very relieved to be there, very anxious, as as we all uh, we all were and still are, I guess, in these in these um, extraordinary circumstances. And uh, for for two months, I had no idea whether the situation was going to change. Uh, then, of course, as you know. Last month, the many governments in Europe decided to reopen the the borders, yeah. at least to people coming from the Schengen area. Um, and this is something I find very ironic when we were tracking the closure of the borders. If I can make a little detour, then I'll go back to my to my own personal <laughs> story. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. But what I find ironic is when we were tracking restrictions, we, we, we realized that there is usually a sequence of things that happen. So government introduces a travel restriction, usually... Um, in early March, it was a restriction against people coming from central, certain countries, uh, China, Iran, Italy. Uh, then at the end of March, governments introduced restrictions to all people. Um, and then after a few days, they um, also introduced exceptions. So they specify that uh, their own nationals are actually allowed to travel back. Oftentimes, their own residents. Uh, so, for example, I was in France, but I was always allowed to return to Switzerland because I am a permanent resident in, in Switzerland. Okay. And, and uh, they also introduced several other exceptions, for, for example, for people who need to work in the country, for people who can right. uh, work in the health sector and, and so on. Uh, but the exception that was never considered, of course, was uh, was tourists. Uh, tourists were yeah. always prevented for, from traveling. But tourism was the main reason behind the acceleration of the reopening of the borders in Europe, uh, right? So at the end of May, governments, like the Italian government, they realized they needed tourism, international tourism, to uh, to support the economy. Yeah. And that was really the main push behind the the, the quick reopening in, in Italy, but also in France, in in Spain now, well, and anywhere in, in Europe. Really, this is big time, right? Of this is where most yeah. tourists uh, flock to Europe. And this, if, yeah. you, if you don't use this window to kind of boost a little bit the economy that dropped in the last three months, yeah, you, exactly. you lose it. Mm. So this was again, I think, a little paradox, uh, right? You have one category that is completely ignored, probably rightly so, because it's really non-essential as a form of movement. But then, again, the economic logic, if you want, prevails, and, and that's the main driver behind the decision. But anyway, so, so right, I was, um, I was in, in France. I was very worried about uh, the, the, the situation, and then um, I was able to return to Switzerland's last week because the both governments decided to open the border again and i hope i'll be able to travel back to paris again in a few days i had i had a very mobile lifestyle before i'm not sure this will continue in the future of course uh, for the moment moving between france and switzerland seems to be pretty easy again let's see what happens in the fall and in the winter of this year have you been uh, moving by land or by air? 
I always uh, travel by train. I have a fascination right. yeah. for for trains. It's um, it's very convenient. You can work. You can do plenty of things. Yeah. The the train ride between um, Neuchâtel and, and Paris is is quite beautiful. Actually, you 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 pass through the the French uh, Jura, and uh, it's a very bucolic landscape so yeah right always by train between yeah. these three countries at least switzerland france and italy yeah which would potentially be a, a slightly less uh, i don't know hectic than doing by plane anyway yeah indeed um i see already there was a trend to strengthen mobility by by trains on on the railways yeah. um well switzerland has always been a country very keen on uh, uh, on trains, but I know France was also making investments to to strengthen the connection between uh, uh, Paris, at least, and and some smaller cities. And I suppose this uh, this will grow even stronger now that um, airplane mobility is, is is potentially dangerous for for the health, other than for the environment. I was just going to point out for the environment, of course, that is also positive. It's it's still polluting, of course, to move by train, but there is a huge difference. I think it's uh, up to twenty times less uh, less polluting than than traveling by by plane. Yeah, yeah. I remember when you guys. I, I'm I'm from Mexico, and I only came here in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think, I don't know if by the time I came here it was still in place, but I, I don't know if it still exists. The Europass, which essentially you'll buy a, a train pass and you could use it throughout Europe for 30 days or something like that. Like the classic interrailing. I don't know. I, yeah. I never got to do it. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite in my time. It was out of it. And um, yeah, but I, I was always, I always thought that when they took it away, I was like, why? Why would they take something like that away? I don't Did think they it exists anymore. Away? That's very sad. I feel like there's so many generations where it was almost like a rite of yeah. passage to it do was like interrailing the, at some point in your life, if you are privileged enough to do so, of course. The um, equivalent of a cap year, no, for yeah. other countries. Yeah, yeah. It was got yeah. more wrong year with your one ticket train, train ticket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did it myself when I was younger. I'm not sure. I think it still exists in some ways. And I, I do remember the European Commission was giving away some of those tickets for free to, to you know, to boost uh, the uh, the idea of uh, of a European identity of uh, people. But one thing, it's very interesting because it makes me think of the situation here in Switzerland. Here in Switzerland, there has been a boost uh, in the number of people who um, signed up for for university for next year, right, uh, which was a surprise for me uh, yeah. because many of the courses are still likely to be online, exactly. which is yeah. not ideal. And then someone explained to me that this is because you, usually uh, many of the people in this country, when they graduate from high school, they go on a gap year, as you said, right. And now, because there is so much uncertainty around international travel, they well, they think they're not going to be able to take a gap year, and they go straight to university instead. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, yeah. So the, <laughs> Although university, the situation with university is not ideal, it's still kind of a safer yeah. option. I guess. Yeah, because now yeah. you cannot even say I'll, I'm go and get myself a job because you don't know what sort of industry is going to be working and what sort of job are you going to be able to get. Also true. So might as well continue yeah. with education. Yeah. Yeah. interesting well so it sounds like in general you say you're very very mobile you have a very mobile lifestyle um so it sounds like you were going back and forth between these countries quite a lot so your your prediction is that indeed in the future this might not be as if you ask me as a citizen or as a as a researcher (laughs) as a researcher i would uh, (laughs) i would not make any prediction on the future yeah as a citizen um i i do expect uh, some 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 complications for the future i think one um uh, example that we can use from the past is that of september 11 after September 11, there were new restrictions in place, of course, yeah. to, to to movement. But in the end, they didn't really um, they didn't really change the overall volume of, of travel. People continue to you know take planes and move internationally. If I were to place a bet again, as uh, as Lorenzo, the the citizen, that's where I would uh, that's where I th- I think we might be be going. But I still. You know, the, the preoccupation is, for me, my family is in one country, 
My, my partner is in another country. I work here in Switzerland. Most of my friends are in Germany. And um, I, I really ask myself whether I will be able to keep up in the future with, um, with the lifestyle that I, that I had, uh, which was a very privileged lifestyle, being able to travel so often by train. Yeah, you know, it comes with a lot of flexibility, for example, work-wise, but it's also something that, that shouldn't be taken for granted. And I, if I may add just one more thing, maybe I speak too much. You should, no, you no, should no, not at all. Up. This is what this podcast is for. <laughs> this is exactly why we call you. <laughs> good, good, good. Academics tend to have, you know, this, uh, they, 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 you never get tired of speaking. Uh, no, but one thing that, that I really want to share with you is um, by coincidence during the the confinement during the lockdown, I was um, reading a book. By the way, the confinement—we can speak about that later—but it was really strict in France, so we were barely allowed to leave our our house. So I was reading this book, which is uh, called *The Europeans*. Uh, it's by a British um, professor, uh, even though the book is a is a romance. It's not. Um, it's not an academic book. Uh, the, the, the author is, is called Orlando uh, Fisch, I think. That's how you pronounce his name. And that's a story, a real story of, of three persons um, who lived in the 19th century in Europe. Um, all of them, they, it's, it's, uh, it's a real story. Uh, one of them is a famous Russian writer, Turgenev. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is an opera singer, uh, Pauline Viardot. And the third is the is the husband of of Pauline Viardot, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, but he was, as we say in Italian, he's an empresario. He's uh, right. he's businessman. And the book uh, is fascinating because it, it tells the story of how these people could move uh, very freely, thanks to the railway that was developed at the time in Europe, um, say between uh, eighteen fifty and eighteen seventy. And really choose where they wanted to live, depending on the opportunities they were offered. So they moved from Italy to Paris, uh, to Baden-Baden in Germany, uh, to Russia. And, and that's why the title of the book is The, is the Europeans. But then in, the, in uh, 1870, uh, there is, of course, the conflict between France and Prussia. And that is the moment when nationalisms arise um, and, and they find themselves in a completely new situation. They, can't, they can no longer decide where they want to go and live. They don't feel they're very welcome anyways because they're always seen as, as, as foreigners right. and it completely disrupts uh, the life that they had socially, economically and culturally. And uh, I was really worried you know, that, that these it's one of those moments when uh, you know the paradigm that we that we know yeah. is completely reshuffled, and what we give for granted is is taken away. Yeah, did you start to kind of see a bit too much of yourself in the book and started to worry about it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's always fascinating, you know, when you put things in a historical perspective and you realize that there are there are continuities uh, and uh, and history things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just realized I don't think we have actually ever had anyone on the podcast um, who was based in, in France, France not during for... lockdown. So it would certainly be be interesting to hear a bit more about your your experience. You say it was very strict, uh, and then you you also mentioned that you were in a relatively confined space. So you not only were confined to indoors, but you were confined in a small space. So how does that work for you guys? On a personal level, I have to say this was, uh, I, I still feel I am an extremely privileged person. And so we were in a tiny apartment of 25 square meters, but it was the opportunity to share, to spend a lot of time and do a lot of different things with my partner, Arianna. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, very welcome in spite of the uncertainty and the anxiety uh, the rules imposed by the French government, um, essentially you were allowed to leave your home if you, if you had to go to work, but most of the businesses were, were closed. Yeah. If you had to go shopping um, 
or if you wanted to do some sport. Uh, but in Paris, you were only able to do sport after 7 in the evening uh, or before 10 in the morning, I think. Uh, so right. during the day, that was not allowed. And to check all of those things, the government required that you feel a justification. Um, uh, just like in Italy, I don't know if in the UK, I don't think. No, we didn't, didn't have, do it. But no, we, we did have someone in Italy saying that there's like an electronic ticket, essentially, that mm-hmm. you had to then print out if you wanted to go exactly. out and carry it around. For a shop or something, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So in France, it was, it was the same. And as I said, for me, I'm very privileged. The, the one thing that bothered me um, is that we were always uh, working, eating, sleeping, talking, watching movies in the same space, yeah. of course, having yeah. a 25 square it's, meter apartment. Yeah, that's very uh, small. That, I was just trying to calculate. I think my flat is about 50 square meters. Yeah. And it's... It's enormous. Yeah. No, yeah, I was I was thinking about it and I just thought, my God, you guys should get a medal. I I think for space wise, you should definitely be up there on the front runners. Yeah, how many weeks was this? (laughs) I really think it was three months, but it was really easy. The one thing that uh, that was harder was to disconnect from work. Perhaps also because of course for me, I felt that as as with my colleagues studying um, the movement of people and we were living a moment of extreme immobility and we still are in many ways I, I wanted to be able to say something to do something something useful uh, with my job you know, yeah. there were many yeah. things in which you, you could do your podcast is something extremely useful people can go volunteering so you can always contribute I think to society but then I really felt I had a duty as a researcher to say something that is that is meaningful and to be unable to to move uh, it also makes it extremely difficult to disconnect mentally yeah so I remember waking up I mean being unable to sleep in the night not because I was panicking or, or worried but just because I was thinking about you know this data set and what we could yeah. do with it and what yeah. we could say all the time so this was the main challenge, I guess, which, as I said, I think it's such an easy ride. If I think of the people who were stuck in very small houses with, of course. with kids or, you know, huge families kind of and yeah. yeah, absolutely. Or even people who don't actually have a house and they're supposed to isolate somewhere, but they don't actually have a house. I mean, of course, of yeah. course, there absolutely. is. It's all relative, but it still doesn't diminish your own personal experience and struggles, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's one thing about Paris, since you were asking about France in Paris, one thing that many people will tell you is that the, the, the number of, of homeless is extremely high. Yeah. And it's always it's always striking when you when you go outside of the main touristic areas. Uh, and in this, uh, indeed, in this situation, this, it was particularly striking. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because, uh, we, you know, it is kind of semi-known that uh, there is a, a big problem of homelessness in, in France in general. Uh, the north of Paris, I think, is where the major problem is. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. I think there is a great divide between east and west, uh, even right. though people don't really speak about it, but the, the western part of Paris is usually... Uh, better off. Right. Uh, so the part that uh, where you really have um, many homeless people is in the north east. Right. Yeah. Uh, By now, a lot of people, a lot of countries are maybe preparing, potentially expecting a second wave. Do you think this has been kind of addressed? To because at least this was you know spring summer sort of uh, wave that we have now. But if there's another one in winter, that's gonna get really difficult. From the medical point of view, I, I don't know how countries are preparing from it. I think from the, again, from the perspective of, of someone who studies migration, um, I think governments will have to be ready to make, uh, let's say, some, some, some concessions. It's really sad to call them concessions uh, because they, are, they, should be, they should be basic rights, but they should... Governments really have an interest uh, in um, uh, extending certain rights to people regardless of their citizenship, so also to migrants. Think of the case, it it should be rather obvious, but the moment we have a a vaccination available, if 
ever. We will have a vaccination available. It is in the interest of countries that everyone gets the vaccination, and you can only do it if you really open up your some of your healthcare services to everyone, including undocumented migrants, including people who are stateless. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of governments, especially populist, far-right governments, have, have been strongly against opening up certain welfare services to, to migrants. But this is a situation where it is in everybody's interest, clearly, to, to give those services to, to everyone. Yeah. yeah, you would think so. You would hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just quickly going back to something you said about the this particular um, restriction that was put into place in in Paris, where you were not actually allowed to go out to do exercise um, during the and during seven. the day. Mm. I'm just uh, I just find that quite curious. I don't quite understand no, why sense. you would want people all to go out at the same time, either in the morning or the evening. Surely you would want to spread it ac across the day. Sure. Those, uh, I think to make sense of these um, restrictions, first you have to think of, of, of the um, amount of people who live in, in Paris and the fact that Paris is a very small city. So I think in Paris the concentration of, of people Per square kilometer is about 21,000, which is uh, up to five times more than the city where you live. I think you live in London, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We're in London. Correct. So, so, so figure that five times more, more yeah, density and a hundred times more than the place where I am now, Neuchâtel. I think in Neuchâtel is about 200 people per, per square kilometer. So wow. in Paris, there is a huge density. Yeah. And what the authorities really wanted to do is to avoid um, that kind of, of contact on the metro, for example, and uh, in all spaces where, where people have to move. So what they did is they introduced um, a prohibition to, to, to do sport in, um, in those hours when people are supposed to go and come back from work. Right. So that's why uh, I think okay. it started at 9 or 10 in the morning. And then until seven, you were not uh, able to go out. After seven, the idea was that most of the people have already returned from, from work. And this was, uh, as in all ugly things, that there is also some beauty. For me, the beauty was uh, going, going out in the evening to do sports. Uh, we also live in the, in the north of Paris, in, in Montmartre. And uh, we would run up to uh, to the Sacré Coeur, the um, the famous iconic church mm -hmm. overlooking Paris. Yeah, and it felt like we were in the middle of some sport event right? because there were hundreds of, of of joggers all around us, no cars, <laughs> of course, and people were just enjoying the time they were able to spend outside of their of their place. Uh, so there was uh, there was something beautiful and uh, some little cracks of spring and sun here and there that we could really appreciate. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Definitely, there there was something about this transformation of the city here in London as well. Definitely, that was actually quite. Yeah, in a way, you could. Absorb like the emptiness of the city that it was in a way bizarre but at the same time beautiful. Yeah, I think for us it was we so we cycle quite a bit and we kept taking out the bikes even to cycle sort of into the city center and of course you know the roads are enti were entirely empty, no cars anywhere, so it was you know just taking over <laughs> without bikes. And, yeah, it's, and everything was so quick to get to places. You know, usually we'd be stuck in traffic. You can imagine cycling in London usually is not. <laughs> I wouldn't cycle in Paris not though. The, yeah. <laughs> sure. No, indeed. But, you know, the transformation is uh, is remarkable, especially in those places. I mean, London and and Paris. In uh, in Neuchâtel, there was much less of a change. Also, one thing I haven't said yet is that the, the lockdown, there was never a lockdown proper in Switzerland in mm -hmm. the sense that yeah. uh, everything was closed, but people were always allowed to go out of their place. And of course, since there is so much space in this country, you know, you could always go for a hike or go to the lake or, or ride your bike. So the conditions were extremely different. Um, and uh, at the same time, again, the way in which places are transformed is uh, is much 
stronger in, in, in big cities. Uh, just to finish up on that, in Paris right now, one thing that is that I find very beautiful is the um, is the way in which bars um, are uh, regaining public spaces uh, because right. mm, the authorities they want to encourage people to sit outside yes. rather yep. than go indoor. Uh, there was always, of course, as you know, one of the strong uh, romantic ideas of Paris, the, the, the cafe that you take outside on this little table. But now uh, the bars are becoming are really spreading in the streets and in the squares and you see tables everywhere and people sitting down and chatting. And that's really beautiful. It's going to last until September. Yeah. And then we don't know what's what's going to happen. But yeah. yeah. I think it's exactly the same here. Obviously, it's, it's all the pubs and bars are doing takeaway pints here in London now and and people are spilling into the streets and it's sort of the revival of the of the beer garden, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It'll be it'll be nice to see whether that becomes more like, you know, maybe areas become more pedestrianized so that there's more the uh, yeah, walking people rather than transport uh, moving around. But at the same time, one of the downsides to it that I've seen, though, that then there's more litter around on the streets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Paris is always it was always very dirty, so I never probably noticed uh, too much <laughs> the difference. Uh, Paris is also famous for all the mice and you know yeah. little animals mm-hmm. yeah. that populate. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that about London. Indeed, I, I tend to see the more positive sides of, of things. <laughs> so I'm, I'm unlike you. I tend to see the bad <laughs> sides of things. <laughs> I mean, we have actually had a couple of callers from Italy. Yeah, but um, just wondering if you've any more more insights. Well, especially Italy as well. In the personal side, I mean, you were saying obviously you have family in Italy and you were worried and how that all of this is going to impact them, not only for you, your uh, mobility, but just in general, I guess, uh, the health of your family or the access that you're going to have to them or they're going to have to you. And uh, yeah. of course, economically, I guess, as well, because Italy, I think they're in a bit of a tight spot with mafia, almost kind of buying off businesses that are struggling and the government not quite uh, managing the situation. Yeah, I don't know if I can tell you something new because I was I was never in Italy in the last few months, so I was only speaking to my friends who are there and, and my family. My my close family has not been affected by, by the virus. I know um, a few other people who have um, had the virus, but uh, not in a very severe form. What people tell me is that the way they experienced the lockdown was, uh, was pretty unique, probably comparable to what happened in Spain and to some extent France and, and the UK. Um, but I think there is a difference between you know Lombardy and Italy. It does surprise me that we keep speaking of, of, of Italy as a whole in this situation when I think more than 50% of the people who, who died and who contracted the virus uh, were, uh, are in, in one specific region. Right. I think that region has been, you know, that, that has been really tragic. Yeah. The, and the reports that I was reading on the newspapers were, were really shocking. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I really don't think I have something original. I'm, I'm sure you have discussed so many different things of... Uh, of, of this pandemic and the way it, uh, it, it touch on Italians, just like many other uh, countries. That I don't want to play the expert. Fair enough. No, it's just if you have any, any any other particular personal insights. But that's no, that's great. Um, One of the questions that we sometimes have uh, is: Do you have any like? A routine that you might have developed throughout your lockdown that you think you might stick to it like as you maybe with your girlfriend that maybe you guys for example me and Anna have a Monday documentary club that we watch online with other friends is there anything that you developed and that you're hoping that you're gonna stick to even after the world goes to back to some sort of normality <laughs> Ah, that's such a healthy approach. Uh, I no, I don't think so. Unfortunately, I think my life already changed quite a bit the last two weeks. Lockdown was, uh, you know, the measures were eased in in France, and then the moment I arrived in Switzerland, here I, I feel life is just the same as it was in in January or February this year. 
I have not uh, decided on on a continuation of things we were doing during lockdown. Maybe because what we did during lockdown was already you know a continuation of of things we like to do before. So right. watching you know cooking, cooking good food. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit of a stereotype uh, <laughs> coming from an Italian, <laughs> but cooking kept us grounded. And if you ask me, the the most difficult moment during lockdown for me was when we when the stove in the kitchen uh, stopped working. No. no, we wanted to cry. Uh, it was particularly difficult to change it, of course, because in the middle of a lockdown, the, the, the people who usually come within a day were not available. Yeah. Uh, after a few days that was sold so did you manage um, to take out some sort of camping cooker somewhere or something or <laughs> exactly yeah we that's how we survived for three or four days as again as an italian i really cannot leave eating sandwiches all the time so <laughs> no, 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 yeah no. but no it's not true there is one thing i started to do this is also extremely banal um very common for people during the lockdown i i, I grew a little jungle um a little yeah. garden in the yeah. kitchen and uh it's in it's in my girlfriend's hands at the moment in paris i'm a little bit worried uh, <laughs> i hope, I hope it's, uh, <laughs> When we speak in the evening, the first thing I ask her is, how is my basil and the rosemarine? How is the rosemarine? Can you send me a picture of they doing today? Uh, yes, but I hope I can continue that in the, in the future. It, uh, it was uh, such a lovely routine, and I'm, I'm sure our neighbors, because we live in a, in a house and you have neighbors right in front of it, so you could see each other from, from right. you know, the different sides of the road. And I'm sure they noticed that I, I would spend so much time talking to the plants and giving water to the plants that uh, they probably had concerns about my mental health at some point. <laughs> <laughs> really going insane. Did you give them names? No, I did not. Okay. No, no. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> I know plenty of people that do. So yeah. hey, I name my course, bicycle, yeah. so that's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, of course, we did exactly the same. I'm growing, you know, my, my lovely, I've got my lovely balcony garden here as well. I started to grow vegetables for the first time in my life. So I think this is sort of, yeah, a sort of common it's ground for, for everyone. They're cooking and the gardening and the yeah. starting to jog for the first time ever. And <laughs> yeah. What is the name of the bike? Uh, Australia. Australia? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll consider if I if I give a name to the plants, I'll I'll let you know. But the problem is there are so many different plants. I would really have to think hard of a of a range of names. Uh, probably a lot of different countries. Then yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's anything that you want to call them. Doesn't have well, to be a country. What I would do when we arrived in uh, so I lived in Florence before before moving to Switzerland. And when we uh, moved to the house in Florence, uh, the previous tenants had left uh, a few items. One of the items was a collection of, um, of old plants, and the plants had Polish names on them. So I remember right. the basil was called Bazilio or something like that. Yeah. So I guess I would do the same. I would just call the plants with their name, but in a foreign language. That makes them very exotic. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, there you go. But it's funny, you know, in, uh, we, we all have different situations in a way, but I think we experienced very similar uh, moments and we had very similar strategies to cope uh, with the situation. This Absolutely. is this remarkable. Yes, and I think this is something that's really come out of this podcast as well. Sorry, now we also have the ice cream van in the background, <laughs> which is also a daily ritual. Um, <laughs> it's now that the businesses are opening, uh, the, this evil song now comes down the, the road every now and then. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, th I thought it was a natural conclusion of your podcast. You know, that you this is the end. Uh, you have a famous podcast in the UK from the BBC which is called the BBC in our time yes and course. they also they have the tendency of speaking for too long and so at some point you hear the voice of the producer <laughs> walking in the room and asking them if they want tea or coffee and that's their way of closing up you know yeah. <laughs> very very British yes. the time the time has arrived the time is, is, is reached its end well, I was actually going to say that, yes, probably. She it, was about to offer me a coming. coffee or a tea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we have sorry. probably taken a lot of your time already, but we do still have one final question because um, 
this is um, yes something that has become a big tradition on this podcast as well, um, that we ask everyone um, about their isolation song, i.e. a song that you might have been listening to recently or a song that has sort of helped you through these times or reminded you of some sort of, yeah, confinement or lockdown experience. Ooh, tough choice. Uh, okay, there is a song. It's a, it's a bit silly, I think. I suppose it's a German band. Uh, it came out uh, fairly recently. Uh, it's a very happy song, and it's entitled Don't Forget by the Magic Mumble Jungle. Right, I don't uh, actually know who they are. No. <laughs> I will use this to to completely kill my aura of intellectual because it's a very unintellectual song, <laughs> and uh, I, I I proudly claim that song for myself. Amazing, but I think since neither of us um, actually have ever heard of this band or this song, would you be willing to give us a little bit of a sample? So shall I shall I sing myself? <laughs> If I mean that would be ideal. If yeah. you if you not don't feel confident singing, then you might also want uh, to whistle or um, hum it as well. We would accept this too. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm doing this to the people who listen to your podcast. And that's, uh, but they're that's used to it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, good. Let me find the lyrics because I don't remember the lyrics. Um, Take your time. Good. Okay, good, I'll sign out. It's not easy, that is true, what we're all going through. Sitting around and feeling blue, nothing else we can do. Oh, 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 oh. Move your head around. Make the best of time. Don't forget to move your body to the bit. I, th- I think that's embarrassing enough. I'm really... By far uh, my favorite. I can see that you're enjoying it. I can see that you're feeling it. I love it. Uh, yes, sure, this was, sure. I hope, this was perfect. I hope the same for your listeners. <laughs> I, I really know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks a lot for that, for spoiling us and for the lovely chat. Yes, yes. No, thank you also for yeah, just taking all this time and telling us a bit about your your project and also of your about your personal experience. Let us know what, what you do with the data. I'm really, really curious of what you're gonna do with the data in the end. Uh, whether you pass it on and collaborate with some other researchers or some other um, academia people. Uh, but I'm I'm just curious to see what comes out of your data. And also finally, maybe uh, last quick question, if anyone can actually access this already now or will this be made For available sure. in the future? Yeah. If you want uh, to plug it. <laughs> uh, three things. I am the one who is to thank you. It has been a pleasure. And of course, you gained a new listener to your podcast. Thank you. Uh, I realized we didn't speak so much of the data. Maybe that's because I spent so much time talking with other people uh, about the data that I was a little, a little bit tired and I'd rather speak about my personal experience of with course. lockdown. But of course, uh, the data are um, available to everybody. Uh, you can access them um, if you go on our website in Switzerland, which is a little bit complicated. It's called the NCCR dash on the move dot ch and you can find the data set on restrictions to um, migration and mobility you can also access them through my italian um, affiliation which is uh, globalsit.eu or uh, you can probably find them in the description of this podcast uh, because yeah. I'm sure you will be kind enough to add the link there. Of course, I was just going to say you can send us all the links and then I'll add it up. I was just going to suggest exactly the same. Yes, yeah. of course, we'll do that. <laughs> so thanks a lot again. It, uh, it, has, uh, it has been the only time over the last few months when I happily chose to stay inside uh, rather than uh, going outdoor. Oh, thanks a lot. Oh, thank, thank you, you very now, much. Now I feel a little bit guilty for, for, <laughs> for stealing your outdoor time. But, 
<laughs> but yeah, thanks very much. Uh, and well, I hope to be in touch at some point or meet again. Yeah, maybe one day we can meet for a drink in a uh, garden uh, or on the street in Paris. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's make advantage of the nice of the nice vibe in the streets. Yeah. Uh, this year. Okay. So, yes. All right. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks a lot. Likewise. Ciao. Bye. Bye. I love the singing. It's I love the singing so much. Oh, my God. It's, it's my favorite so far. Definitely. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Lorenzo. Thank you, Lorenzo, for giving us such a such a big and lovely sample. Especially lovely because some people out there have not quite pleased us with that one. So there you go, yeah. guys. That's how it's done. No need to be embarrassed or anything. It's just, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's, it was great. It put me in a good mood. <laughs> Not that I wasn't. Not that I wasn't. Might also be the glass of wine. Second <laughs> glass of wine. <laughs> exactly. Just exactly my point. Um, um, yeah, no, I thought, no, it was really interesting anyway. Definitely going to check out that data as well. It's kind of funny the way he, he mentions that he started... Uh, he saw things developing, and straight away he thought, "Like, okay, no, this is this is something that needs to be recorded. We need, I need to get a team together and convince them that this is something that we need to start tracking." Yeah, because you know that's how I felt at the beginning of all of this, and with yeah. your podcast, the, the, yeah, with the podcast, just in general, I just thought that it's a uh, it's something that needed to be recorded, and you know, the podcast perhaps for this merely entertainment, but who knows, maybe someone out there will find it useful, not only because they can feel like there's someone in the other side of the world who is experiencing exactly the same, uh, maybe there's more, stu- more to it. And I'm sure there's loads of people doing similar projects uh, or doing like the way he started with his data. There, there must be other people doing other stuff that eventually is going to come really useful. Yeah, yeah. And I can't even imagine the amount of work that, that goes into it um, if you're covering this many countries and, uh, you know, the, yeah, I actually it changes on a daily basis. One of the questions I forgot to ask was to ask how big was his team of uh, colleagues. Mm. So I'm sorry, Lorenzo. Maybe you can just text Anna. and So just, just so I know. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners are not going to know, but I, I want to know. Um, I have a feeling it might be actually quite a small team. It sounded like it was quite full on. Yeah, and then also also very interesting to hear about Paris, um, since we hadn't heard from anyone, and I yeah. didn't, I hadn't, I knew that it was very strict, but I, I guess I didn't quite know how how strict is what it how was. Strict it really was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know the, the specifics of it. Of like, for example, having the the restrictions between ten in the morning and seven in the evening. Yeah, um, that that was uh, the only times that you couldn't go out. But it makes sense. Um, Although, to be honest, the way it makes sense to me in my head when Lorenzo was talking about it was different to the way he actually explained it and the the reasons they had. I guess in my head it didn't, although his explanation made perfect sense in the end, but in my head my initial thoughts were, why would you uh, only give two windows and then cram everyone into those two windows instead of spreading out throughout the day? um, in In my head worked out. But then again, there's a lot of things that worked out in my head and then not so much into practice. <laughs> uh, talking about cramming in, I mean, again, I'm still uh, oh, yeah, uh, gobsmacked by the 25 square meter space. I think it's um, it's really nice that him, they, him and his girlfriend still managed to make it work and managed to even want to do other things like growing some herbs and just not not see all the negatives the way I do, for example, <laughs> to focus in the yeah, positive. Would you like to take a take an example here? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, hey, if Inspired. I grow up with his diet, maybe I'll be more positive. <laughs> She's demanding more Italian cooking. I think maybe. Uh, not really, no. I'm not, no, no, you're not the no. biggest fan of a, but a pizza, maybe. Le- but let's not get. I mean, yeah, this okay. is a massive, massive diversion. Absolutely. Although I was thinking, like. I thought, I'm sure he mentioned it, but did he say he was originally in Switzerland and then he had to choose in between yes. Switzerland and He said it was a 10-second decision, so it really sounded like a decision of the heart. But but literally between Switzerland and France. Yes. Because I bet if he was in Italy, that would have taken at least 20 seconds. Because you, do you pick in between Italian food <laughs> or the girlfriend? 
because Switzerland is like, well, I mean, <laughs> what is there to think about? <laughs> anyway, should we wrap it up? Um, yeah, I want to do a call out. Um, as you might remember, we were talking about doing an episode to celebrate Pride Month. So we wanted to do a bit of a round table. Uh, we don't know how many guests we might be able to host. But if if it doesn't work in one episode, maybe we can do two, um, depending on the response. And so do you want to tell our audience who we want to have on? Just just anyone from the community, really. Any LGBTQI plus anyone. Um, obviously, we have a strong sort of lesbian slash queer contingency sitting right here already. So it'd be nice to get some, some other perspectives as well. Yeah. And for that, they can write us too. Our email address, which would be isolationboothpod at gmail.com. Or maybe they can tweet at us at isolationbooth. And, or maybe, I don't know, give us a little message via Instagram. Isolationboothpod. Or leave us a message on the Facebook page, which is the Isolation Booth. There you go. Yes. Get in touch. We'd love to yeah. hear from you. Please do. We've got to record this... Uh, Quite soon. <laughs> so <laughs> get in touch, guys. And uh, wash your hands. And happy isolation slash East isolation. Bye. Bye. Never spent so much time with you before. It's like we've lost the key to the front door. To protect and survive Does buying bulk will really help keep us alive? Not likely that by my summation Settling cause we're in isolation Boom.